This is the Daily Signal podcast for Thursday, March 14th. I'm Kate Trinko. And I'm Daniel Davis. Last month in El Salvador, a third-party outsider won in a landslide election, defeating his opponents, promising to crack down on corruption, to fight crime, and improve the economy. Oh, and also, he's 37 years old. I sat down earlier with President-elect Nayib Bukele. We talked about immigration, gangs, and how the U.S. and El Salvador can work together. We'll bring you that exclusive interview. Plus, a few of our colleagues chime in on Captain Marvel. And before we get to our headlines, just a reminder that if you enjoy this podcast, please mention it to your friends and families. Please subscribe and please leave a five-star review on iTunes. We are here to make sure that busy conservatives can get the news highlights and in-depth interviews they need every day. And we'd love your help in spreading that word. Now, on to our top news. Well, after dozens of countries suspended use of the Boeing 737 MAX 8, President Trump is now following suit. On Wednesday, he announced the FAA would be grounding the plane in the wake of last weekend's deadly crash in Ethiopia, which took the lives of 157 people. That was the second time the plane model crashed in the last six months. Here's the president making the announcement. Uh, We're going to be issuing an emergency order of prohibition to ground all flights of the 737 MAX 8 and the 737 MAX 9 and planes associated with that line. I've spoken to Elaine Chow, Secretary of Transportation, Dan Elwell, Acting Administrator of the FAA, and to Dennis Mullenberg, CEO of Boeing, and they'll be available shortly after our conference today. They are all in agreement with the action. Uh, Any plane currently in the air will go to its destination and thereafter be grounded. The FAA was initially resistant to grounding the plane. It's a rare decision to make. And it turns out that U.S. pilots had actually been registering complaints about the new 737 model. According to reports accessed by USA Today, Between April and December of last year, at least 11 professional pilots filed complaints with the FAA over perceived safety issues. Boeing announced on Monday that it would be making an extensive change to the plane's cockpit software. Naomi Rao was officially confirmed Wednesday, 53 to 46, with all Republican senators voting for her and all Democratic senators, but one who didn't vote at all, voting against her. Rao, who was the regulatory czar for President Trump and, more importantly to us, a former Heritage Foundation intern back in the day, will now take Brett Kavanaugh's former seat on the D.C. Circuit Court. Well, a Senate Republican proposal to rein in the president's power over national emergencies looks doomed after House Speaker Nancy Pelosi says the House won't consider it. The bill was proposed by Senator Mike Lee of Utah as a compromise measure in place of a bill to overturn the president's national emergency declaration at the border. He said Congress only had itself to blame for the current situation since Congress handed over national emergency powers to the president in the 1970s. But Pelosi and now even the president have come out against the bill. The House already passed a bill to overturn the president's national emergency, and it now looks ready to pass in the Senate, though neither chamber looks able to overcome a presidential veto. Representative John Ratcliffe, Republican of Texas, tweeted that former FBI official Lisa Page quote, confirmed to me under oath that the FBI was ordered by the Obama Justice Department not to consider charging Hillary Clinton for gross negligence in the handling of classified information, 
end quote. Page, who was at the time having an affair with other FBI official Peter Strzok, also said, per the transcript released, and that these uh, transcripts are from last summer, that the plan was to investigate Trump even if he didn't become president. Quote, if he is not elected then, to the extent that the Russians were colluding with members of his team, we're still going to investigate that, even without him being president, because anytime the Russians do anything with a U.S. person, we care, and it's very serious to us. Well, Paul Manafort, the president's former campaign manager, received an added three and a half years in prison on Wednesday after a federal judge rejected his appeal and rebuked him for crimes and for lying. The charges were that he misled the U.S. government about foreign lobbying and encouraged witnesses to lie for him. He had already received a roughly four-year prison sentence in Virginia for a separate case. And just minutes after that sentencing, prosecutors in New York filed suit against Manafort on state charges, a move that was perceived to be an effort to guard against a presidential pardon. The president can pardon federal offenses, but not state ones. The immediate future of the UK remains in chaos, with Parliament turning down Prime Minister Theresa May's proposed deal on how the UK would say goodbye to the European Union. And then on Wednesday, Parliament said no thanks to legislation that would have allowed the UK to leave the European Union without any deal. Right now, Britain is supposed to leave the EU on March 29th. Pro-life advocates scored a victory on Tuesday when a federal appeals court ruled against Planned Parenthood, which was suing the state of Ohio for depriving it of state funding because it funds abortion. The Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals ruled by a vote of 11 to 6 that Ohio's policy does not violate Planned Parenthood's constitutional rights. In a state responding to the ruling, Planned Parenthood's president, Leanna Wynne, said, quote, It is unconscionable that politicians continue seeking to restrict people from accessing essential health care, which is a human right, end quote. The decision overturned a lower court ruling in favor of Planned Parenthood. The group did not say whether it would appeal. Governor Gavin Newsom, a Democrat, has said California will no longer enforce the death penalty. In remarks, Newsom said, per San Francisco ABC affiliate KGO, I do not believe that a civilized society can claim to be a leader in the world as long as its government continues to sanction the premeditated and discriminatory execution of its people. In short, the death penalty is inconsistent with our bedrock values and strikes at the very heart of what it means to be a Californian. End quote. This affects over 700 criminals. President Trump tweeted, defying voters, the governor of California will halt all death penalty executions of 737 stone cold killers. Friends and families of the always forgotten victims are not thrilled and neither am I. In 2016, California voters rejected a ballot initiative that would have ended the death penalty. Well, next up, an exclusive interview with El Salvador's president-elect. Do conversations about the Supreme Court leave you scratching your head? Then subscribe to SCOTUS 101, a podcast breaking down the cases, personalities, and gossip at the Supreme Court.
Welcome to The Daily Signal. I'm Daniel Davis, and today I have the pleasure of being joined by the president-elect of El Salvador, Nayib Bukele. Uh, Mr. President-elect, thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me, and thank you for the Heritage Foundation and the people that are watching us. Now, you were elected in February in uh, an overwhelming vote, and uh, it was the first time, I believe, in uh, in the last uh, 20, 30 years that a third-party candidate had been elected president in El Salvador. Um, you're going to start your five-year term in June. Um, and now you're here in Washington. What are some ways that you hope to build the U.S.-El Salvador relationship? Uh, the U.S. and El Salvador has had a relationship for over 100 years. It has been a great relationship, and El Salvador has been an ally of the United States like forever. We have been, we have a, a third of our population lives here. We use the U.S. dollar as our currency. 80% of our exports come to the United States. 80% of our imports come from the United States. Uh, but the fact is that the last 10 years have been, we had a government that has been eroded, eroding the the relationship with the United States, uh, siding with Venezuela, siding with Nicaragua, the international organisms. And what was what happened is that we have been eroding the our relationship with our greatest ally, our greatest friend, and, and that it doesn't just it just doesn't make sense. So but actually gives us an opportunity to fix that relationship. It's a change of government, and it's not only a change of government, but also a change of era for El Salvador, because after the civil war in the 80s, we, we had a civil war in the 80s that ended in 1992. But after after the peace accords were signed, the two sides of the war is still governed, is still continue to govern the country. Uh, Arena, the one side, and the former guerrilla, the FMLN, on the other side, they go on and continue to rule the country for the next 27 years. They, they're still in, in government right now. They're living in May, thir- May 30th, th- 31st. So, in June 1st, we're not, not only a new government is coming in, but also a new era for El Salvador is, is, is coming in, because we're turning the page on the post-war era. The Salvadorans decided overwhelmingly in February 3rd, that they want the, the post-war era to end. And now we have a clean slate. We have a, a clean page to write on, and we're not uh, ab- abide by the speeches of the 80s. We're not abide by the, by the ideologies of the 80s, uh, by the fight of the 80s, but by, by a new generation that, wanna, that wants to build something with... We don't need to invent the recipes. The recipes are there. You, you have you, uh, the United States is an example of that. So we just want to build a country that works with with common sense solutions and doing the common sense things like being in Washington and, and reaching out to our friends. And we just we just want to do the common sense things. And we we know that as a result we will have prosperity for our people. And our people are happy and are eager to do that and they will to work on that. So it's obvious it's it's obviously going to work. Because everybody is on board, and we're sending, we're trying to send the right signals, and the right signals are being received by the by the right by the right people and by the right countries. And I think that at the end of the line, we'll we'll have uh, prosperity in El Salvador, and that's only not good for El Salvador, but it's also good for the other countries that could see El Salvador as an example of how an underdeveloped country can 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 have progress and can have uh, an economic growth and can, sol- and can solve its problems uh, by doing the right things and the common sense things. Well, you mentioned that a third of Salvadorians live right here in the United States. Yes. Um, we, we, and we also continue uh, to have uh, more migrants arriving at the U.S. border. But you mentioned in your speech at Heritage that you plan to end all, I think your words, forceful immigration yes. to the United States uh, in, in the next five years. Um, what key steps do you plan to take to achieve that? Uh, 
forcible immigration, which is 95% for the, of our immigration. I mean, you have other types of immigration, right? Like professional immigration or, but you have a forcible immigration. It means when you have uh, immigration caused by other factors, like for example, lack of opportunities or violence or both of them, or both of those factors. This is this is really shameful for our country. I mean, it should be really shameful. When, when when we talk about in the immigration debate, we always talk about the borders. We always always talk about uh, the countries that they get the influx of immigrants. But we we seldomly speak about what are we doing in our country for the people not fleeing. I mean, people are not fleeing the states, right? Why are why, why people are fleeing our country? I mean, we should be doing things really bad for our own people wanting to flee our country. So we want to end that. I mean, it's not it's not a favor to the United States. It's just it's just a matter of common sense that our country has to provide the opportunities for and the security for people to want to stay in their country. For us, it's not it's not cheap either to to be exporting our our young population, our uh, population that is willing to work, that is willing to to work really hard to to. To, for their families. So it's, I mean, we have a demographic bonus. We have a huge demographic bonus because we have a huge uh, young population. And th that should be, by by any by any observation, that should be the, the best thing a country can may have. And we're expelling them like like we want to export people. And that shouldn't, that, that shouldn't be an industry. I mean, exporting people to get remittances, that's, that's the worst thing a country can do, expelling its own population. So we want to change that. And the way to change that is, is I mean, it's a, it's a gigantic job, but it's actually really simple in the way that it's a common sense thing that you have to provide opportunities, you have to provide jobs, and you have to provide security. Now, somebody, someone may say, hey, yeah, really, that sounds good, but how do you, how do you provide security, right? Well, you have, to fight, you have to fight the gangs in El Salvador. A gang member makes uh, average $300 a month. So they don't make an, an, a huge income. So, of course, the state may come and provide better, better opportunities for them, education, scholarships, sports, culture, art. And we can provide... We can allure the young people to go into the right path and not into the wrong path. And we can fight, the, the gangs are not sophisticated. They're not the, the big drug cartels, they're not sophisticated. So we can fight them, I mean, the, the straightforward with technology, with things that we don't have because the crooks have been stealing the money for the last 40 years. So let's invest the money that the people are paying in taxes in services to the people. And one of the best services we can provide to the people, to companies, to international investors, to tourists, to tour, uh, for tourism to grow, it's investing in making our country safe. And then when you Google El Salvador, you will not find gangs, corruption, immigration, caravans, but you will find economic growth, tourism, surfing beaches, uh, uh, they are battling corruption, so you will find the right ways and that will allure people to come in, to invest, to uh, Salvadorans to go back to their country, uh, retirees to want to retire in El Salvador because we have a nice weather, because we have beautiful beaches, because we have beautiful places to go, because we have summer all year long. So, but we have to, we have to do the right things to change the country. They are, seem gigantic, but at the same time, they seem, it's really simple. I mean, if, if, you, could, if you could define it in a, in a minute, it should be simple to do it. 
And we haven't done it because the pre previous administration and the current administration has been focusing on stealing money and haven't been focusing on giving ambition to our country and put the money where it should be and put the country in the right path. Yeah, I want to ask you about that. One of the major issues in your election was corruption. Yeah. Um, what, what are some specific ways that's been happening? What are key steps you plan to bring reform to and accountability to government? Yes, yeah, so, well, you said it. We have to bring reform and accountability. In, 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 in the second, in the first part, we have to reform some laws and we have to set the example. Like the president of Mexico just said, you just, you cannot clean the stairs from the bottom up. You have to clean the stairs from the, uh, from up down. So we have, you have to start with leading with the example. I mean, if the president is stealing money, well, all of his cabinet will, will do the same. But if the president is not stealing money and he tries to choose, and I say try because out of 3,000 people, they may be a crook, right? But you, right. but if you choose the right people, and then you put in place the, the checks and balances that will control when one of those 3,000 uh, confident posts you have, if, if they go, if they stray, well, somebody will catch them and someone will turn it to, to the justice system and to the authorities and be punished by, for his crimes. Corruption will stop. And one of the things that will do it fast is we have called for international commission uh, led by the OAS or by the UN. Both are, the, the both organizations are interested in it. Dr. Almagro, the secretary general of the OAS, just said we're all in in that commission. And an international commission has the benefit, I don't want to sound redundant, but it's, it has the benefit that it's international. So they don't have the influence of the inter internal uh, powers or the internal mafias. And you will have an international commission that is totally independent, that is going after the crooks, not only the ones in the past, but also the ones in the present and the ones in the future. Somebody asked me in the audience that what would I do, what would I do with, the, with the crooks in the opposition? And I said, not only the crooks in the opposition, in our own party, if there's, a, if there's somebody stealing money, he will have to pay for what he has done. And that will also dissuade some people of doing things, doing bad things because they will, they will fear the consequences. Well, earlier you mentioned the problem of gangs and it's a problem we have here in the United States. Yes. MS-13 is a, is a challenge. Um, it, that gang has roots in El Salvador, but I want to ask you how that gang has affected the people in El Salvador. And uh, what are some of the key steps that you plan to take to really push back on the gangs? Gangs are really bad. They're, they're, they are responsible of 80% of our homicides. They extort money out of poor people. They have control of, t of whole communities controlled by gangs, where if you want to sell something, you have to pay the gang. They, they are a quasi-state because they, they, they function like they, they, they collect taxes, they provide security, which means I'm not going to kill you, right? Right, right. But, uh, but, the, but the fact is that these, are, these organizations, they have to end. We have, we have to... We have to uh, we have to end these organizations, and the, and the right way to do it is in the, is in a three step. First, we have to com we have to compete to get the young people. They are recruiting twelve year olds, thirteen year olds. Those kids, you can't you can't compete them. If you get them, th those kids will go in the right way with scholarship, with education, with sports, with programs. You, you can get those kids. You have the other, which are graduated criminals. I mean, you, can, you cannot fix them. You have to combat them. But you, you can do it with technology. You can do it by by uh, putting the money in people and combating them. You know, suddenly we don't even have a forensic lab. 
we're just gonna build the first one but if you if you if you go to a crime scene you can have the fingerprints you can have dna you can have the bullet the gun and the letter from the ki killer saying i killed this guy and they wouldn't they wouldn't even know who wrote the letter because they didn't have a they don't have calligraphers to 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 match the letters so mm. the fact is that we we are not we don't even have the common things police departments in the united states have so how can we how can we come back, how can we uh, fight the gangs if we don't, if you're not acquiring the technology and the equipment and the tools that our police our men and women in the police uh, need to to fight the gangs the, the the good thing or the opportunity not the good thing the opportunity is that the gangs are not sophisticated I mean, they're, they're very low in sophistication. They're not like the drug cartels that they have what really, they have the submarines. No, they're right. very low sophisticated and they're very low in income. So if we ta if we cut their income, it, it's very easy. I just, I just when I was mayor of San Salvador, we just did a plan in the historic downtown district. And we, we turned the most dangerous area in the country in the most tourism, touristic area in the country. So you can do it in small, you can scale it in big. And, and the third, there's the second one, come with them. And the third one is uh, reinsertion in, 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 in the jail system. Right now in our jail system, we have, um, they're practically universities of crime. They go inside because they have stolen the chicken and then they, they, they graduate from, they order homicides and extort people from the jails because the, the whole ambient of the jail does that. Right. But if you turn jails into, a, into correctional facilities that actually you, you are trying to correct people, then a, a big chunk of those criminals that are getting out because their sentences are ending, you will get a huge chunk of them to in the right path. And if they, if they go astray, well, you get them back and you send them back to jail, but you need the system to work. It is not, I mean, we're not inventing hot water. It's just right. doing the right things that line common sense law enforcement has to do. Uh, we have to fix our social fabric. So no, so kids don't, don't feel the necessity to go into the get to a gang and we have to fix our jail system. Well, lastly, I want to ask you about your election. Last month, uh, as we mentioned, you were elected uh, by wide margins, a third party candidate, um, and you've got a huge social media following as well. Uh, I understand you're 37 years old. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So um, what do you think most resonated with your campaign with, with the people? I think it was a couple of fact, different factors. Yeah. One of them, I was mayor of the capital in yeah. Salvador, and we when we ended up when we ended our our term, uh, we ended with a 84 percent approval rating. So it was uh, people like our promises, but also people know that we will that we will keep our word and our promises because we have done that already. That's, that's for one. The second is I think we connect better with the with, with most of the people that are. I mean, most of people are watching their phones more time than they're watching their TVs. Right. So, I mean, it's good to have ads on TV, but it's better to connect people via, via social network in, in our times. Right. And the other thing is that I think people was, people was, was also, were also fed up of, of the status quo, of the, of the two-party system that has been the crooks on one side and the crooks on the other side, that has been ripping off and stealing the, the people's money. And you, you will see former presidents with $300 million, $400 million from the, from the public money and, uh, and the country with no medicine, with, no, with schools in 
with no with no roofs with the schools um, we have 80 percent of our schools that don't have internet access i mean people were fed up of that so people yeah. wanted to change and right now we had a huge uh, electorate we won in the 14 departments we won in the uh, 59 of the 60 most important cities we won in 200 of the 262 uh, cities in the country, uh, we won in every uh, sector, in every niche. But right now, it, that transforms into a responsibility because the, expect the, the expectations are so high that if we don't, if we don't fulfill those expectations, it will be, it could be a, it could be really bad. So we have to fulfill or exceed the expectations that people have in us. Well, President-elect uh, Naib Bukele, we really appreciate you taking Thank the you. time to join us, at the Daily Signal, and we hope you'll join us next time. Do you own an Alexa? You can now get the Daily Signal podcast every day as part of your daily flash briefing. It's easy to do. Just open up your Alexa app, go to settings and select flash briefing. From there, you can search for the Daily Signal podcast and add it to your flash briefing so you can stay up to date with the top news of the day that the liberal media isn't covering. Okay, well, we're here to discuss Captain Marvel, but there's one problem. Neither Daniel Davis or I have seen it. So we're joined by John Cooper, media guru of all things foreign policy at the Heritage Foundation. And he's making a face. I think that should be his official title. And Thalia Ramper. <laughs> wow. wow. So the issue I just had with Thalia's last name, listeners should know, is that her actual last name is Ramper Sad, but she also goes by Ramper Mad and other terms, no. and I forgot which one it was for a second. Well, it's not Ramper Happy, and it's definitely not Ramper Mad. It's 100% Ramper Anyway, sad. the important thing about Thalia is that she is part of the video production team, and she too has seen Captain Marvel. So, John and Thalia, I understand you both hated this film. Yeah, I guess that's a, a way to jump into it, right? Um, Why did you hate, hate it? Hate is a strong term for me, but I definitely did not like it. Okay, so why? Either of you. Yeah, I guess I'll, I'll jump in. So I might be even farther down the spectrum than, than Thalia is. Um, for me, I want, I want my Marvel movies to be really just, I want them to be good movies. I want them to be entertaining. I want them to have great action set pieces, but I also want them to have some good character development and good story arcs. And short version, Captain Marvel had basically none of that. Uh, and I know that some people would probably fight me on that, but at the end of the day, there, there just wasn't enough of what has made a lot of the other hits in the Marvel universe so successful. Uh, and even some of the lesser, you know, the, the less successful movies, maybe like Thor, Dark World, that weren't as uh, acclaimed or, or frankly as good of a movie as like maybe Thor Ragnarok or Infinity War or the original Iron Man, uh, this film did not have even some of some of the the fun aspects and the the visuals maybe that some of those lesser movies did. So that's that's kind of where I come down on it. So for me, you have to think about where Captain Marvel is falling in the spectrum of the MCU movies. And that's and, Marvel Comics Universe for those of you like me who are not this familiar with it. And who aren't nerds like John and I for MCU. Nailed it. I mean, I'm a nerd, but in a different way. <laughs> <laughs> so you have to think about where Captain Marvel falls in all of these films. This is right at the head of the release of Endgame, which comes out next month. 
And supposedly Endgame is the sequel to Avengers Infinity War. So all of the fans are supposed to find out what has happened to all of the superheroes who have disappeared when Thanos snapped his fingers. What happened to those superheroes after the snap has been the big controversy for the past year and a half. And so we're trying now to figure out where Captain Marvel fits into that uh, storyline. And with Captain Marvel, the talk... And what I've seen amongst the reviews is that she is supposedly supposed to save all of these superheroes that that have disappeared with Thanos snap. For me, when I go into a movie with that much expectation, I want to know that I am going to enjoy the film. I, I don't want to be skeptical going in. And I was before I stepped in. And when I when I left the theater, I was sorely disappointed because like John was talking about, the storyline is extremely weak. You're thrown into the story from the beginning. You're not really sure what's going on. And then throughout, of course, it kind of unfolds her her story and who she is and where she's come from. Um, and I'm not going to give any spoilers away for those who haven't seen it yet. But essentially, it's for me, it was a huge letdown in terms of what her story was. And I also left the movie uh, somewhat confused in terms of uh, who was who was still good on her side and who was bad, um, and that and that revolves around the idea of Marvel and whether or not where she stood um, in the good versus evil fight. Um, and of course, I'm I'm just an MCU fan. I'm not a comic comic book fan, but I think those two entities can uh, can be separated um, in terms of the the film critics versus the comic book critics. And so, me just as an MCU fan, I was sorely disappointed. And I really, really hope she is not the end all be all to uh, invent Avengers Endgame. So actually, I want to follow up on what you just said about how it was sort of ambiguous, if I understood you correctly, who was good and who was evil. And I think one reason that superhero movies have been so popular in, you know, gosh, the past two decades, let's say at this point, um, is because it's it's very clear that it's good versus evil. And I think that's one reason conservatives uh, really love them for the most part. Did this movie kind of blur that? Well, <laughs> without giving too many spoilers away, or, uh, I, w- I will say that the film, the most of the dramatic tension in the film was completely cut, you know, at the knees halfway through the film by some of the writing decisions that were made by the the, the various screenwriters on this film. It was also directed by two, you know, two directors, and that that showed it. That's usually not a good thing, unless you're the Russo brothers who have directed some of the best movies in the Marvel universe. Um, yeah, so there was there were major problems with the the antagonists in the story uh, and really undercutting a lot of the dramatic tension. Uh, but frankly, even too, I think one reason why it, it 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 was so weak as a film was because you had these very, very sporadic bursts of action at the very beginning of the film, about five minutes into the film, you're dropped into this set piece that I'm sitting there thinking, wow, this is going to be really exciting the way that they're setting up this mission. It's, it's kind of cool visually. Uh, and then even the action was so, it was edited so choppily. You couldn't tell where anything was, was going on, what was happening. And then the action just stopped. And we had about, you know, 30 minutes of just like exposition and talking and introducing the characters that we already know, um, things like that. And it, it was really just, it was really odd to, to go through that. So you have Captain Marvel trying to figure out who she is. How, how does she have these powers? Um, how should she use her powers? Uh, and it's, it was almost like, uh, you know, you hear lots of criticisms like of the, of the walking dead to go to the TV universe where there's sporadic action. That's really cool that, that fans like, uh, but then there's like 45 minutes of talking for the rest of the episode. Captain Marvel was like the cinematic version of the walking dead. Uh, and I think 
you know, whether you're liberal or conservative, you, you want to watch a good movie. You want to have a good time, especially, you know, for fans of the Marvel universe. I don't, <laughs> I don't really care what your political, you know, perspective is. We want to, we want to watch a good movie. And even with all of the, the pre-film publicity, you know, Brie Larson caught a lot of flack for, you know, feminist quotes or whatever. Like, I don't care about any of that. It's all just dumb to me because at the end of the day, is the movie good? And, you know, whether you're conservative, again, conservative or liberal, moderate, don't care about politics at all. Cause let's be honest, most Marvel fans probably don't care about politics. So good on them. But we want to see a good film that advances the storyline. And the, the analogy I kind of thought of as I was leaving the theater last weekend was so with, with infinity war, <clears throat> the Marvel cinematic universe is coming to an end with, within game, you know, we're rounding third with infinity war. And instead of, you know, racing home to score that game winning run, Captain Marvel kind of like tripped over third and now it's going to be a close play at the plate because I still have faith that Endgame is going to be awesome and blow everyone's minds and Ant-Man is actually going to be a huge factor in saving the universe. But now there's some doubt. They've really cost themselves some momentum. My predictions for Endgame is that Ant-Man is going to go subatomic into one of the Infinity Stones. That is my... You just you, used so you many heard words, it here. I don't know what they mean. <laughs> you heard it here, folks. The, my, that is my prediction. Um, I really do hope that he is the, the savior of all um, and not Captain Marvel, in my personal opinion. But also, too, John, I wanted to ask you, what were your thoughts on not having a romantic storyline in Captain Marvel? How did you feel about that? Because personally, I that's something I look for in a Marvel character. Yeah, I, I didn't miss it. I mean, honestly, uh, the whole the whole plot line between her and her, uh, you know, fellow airman uh, Rambo was really it, it was the the friendship relationship story, you know, the. Rambo was her, um, the emotional connection, I guess, that whether it's a romantic relationship or a, a friendship or whatever it is, that really carried through the whole film. And they actually, they, they pulled that off pretty well. And I thought that was enough to kind of help the story along in that regard. The problem was they then failed to develop the rest of the story in terms of, uh, you know, what kind of set pieces are we going to do? What kind of, uh, you know, how are we going to really build out a fleshed out villain? I mean, for crying out loud, for the Guardians of the Galaxy fans, you know, with Ronan in the first film, he's a great villain. I'm a huge Lee Pace fan. If you don't know who Lee Pace is, look him up and watch everything he does because he's great. You know, whether it's The Fall or he was in The Hobbit films, um, uh, Halt and Catch Fire on AMC. But he is brought into the film for about five minutes near the end of the film and just complete waste of a villain, um, of a great character, a great actor. So there were just all these other kinds of problems, but the easy answer to your your question is that, yeah, I thought their relationship was good, but eh. So last question, um, you know, the hero being a woman was something that's pretty unusual for superhero movies. Uh, Wonder Woman, I don't know if that was last year or the year before, of course did really well. I personally really enjoyed that one. Um, what did you guys think about it being a woman? So, yeah, I'll tell you what I think. I I don't find it as compelling to watch uh, a woman save the entire universe. I would um, find it much more believable to see a strong male lead come in and save the entire universe. Someone of a Thor stature um, to, to try and convince me that Captain Marvel, being who she is, is going to come in and rescue Thor and the Hulk and Iron Man all, and all of like Black Panther, all of these guys. That is very, very difficult uh, for me to understand and kind of accept. Yeah, and and for me too, the the comparison to Wonder Woman is really a good comparison because Wonder Woman, I think, was so successful one because Gal Gadot is such a great actress and and just can really uh, demonstrate a lot of range and also is a very physical actor. 
Um, and, and she's just really good at what she does. And that film was, was grounded in, it was grounded one in reality. And it was also grounded in a lot of her interpersonal relationships. I thought they pulled that off really well. This movie, they did not accomplish any of that because honestly, I kind of, you know, Brie Larson, at least in this film was a charisma black hole. Um, <laughs> wow. And I agree with that. Just, I, I 100% agree with that. I, I did not care about her at all. Mm. She, she was the most unempathetic person I, we have yet seen by far in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. What's so ironic about that statement, though, is that from the very first opening scene, we see Jude Law telling Brie Larson's character, don't let your emotions control you. And yet they gave the audience no time to understand the character or what even emotions he was talking about. Yet they were just shoving down this, don't let your emotions control you, don't let your emotions control you theme throughout the film portraying and propelling the idea that women's emotions shouldn't be uh, accepted and uh, should be put aside for uh, what their strengths Hmm. essentially and to me personality versus emotions are two different things and they did not differentiate that within the film at all and there was zero indication anywhere in the film that she was this person that was like prone to overreact emotionally or anything like that either it was just like you're just this is this is comic book speak and it's it's dumb. It's poor writing. Okay. Well, I mean, that's a bit disappointing to hear because, you know, as I said, I enjoyed Wonder Woman and one of the things I enjoyed about it, unlike Thalia being pro women saving the world, is they still made her very feminine. She was not a masculine character, and you saw that her strength was different than a guy's strength. But Anyway, if you check out the movie, let us know what you think. That'll do it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to the Daily Signal podcast brought to you from the Robert H. Bruce Radio Studio at the Heritage Foundation. Please be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. And please leave us a review or a rating on iTunes to give us any feedback, unless you hated how we reviewed this movie. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to the Daily Signal podcast, executive produced by Kate Trinko and Daniel Davis. Sound designed by Michael Gooden, Lauren Evans, and Thalia Rampersad. For more information, visit DailySignal.com.